Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful time of worship. We thank you that we can come together as your church, as a people called by your name to worship you. Oh, Father, we thank you for your precious word given to us, and even as we now turn to your word for instruction for our lives. We ask you, Lord, for understanding, for receptive hearts, that we might do all that you say. For your word is active and living, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. So Lord, we open our hearts to you and ask you to teach us from your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. It is my joy and privilege to bring God's word to you this morning as uh, Pastor Ronald is away. He has asked me to take the pulpit and I'm indeed glad to be able to bring God's word to you. I think if you are following the church-wide reading program, you would be reading the book of Matthew during this month. I know you are already further on, but for this morning, if you can just rewind a little bit back to chapter 5 of Matthew, we will be talking about the topic of anger. Now, Pastor Ronald has in the last three weeks been preaching from the book of Matthew. And his theme was Matthew, uh, no, his theme was Emmanuel, God with us, to usher in Christmas. And this morning as I was walking in, someone asked me, this is Christmas time, why talk about anger at such a time? I think... It is because anger is one of life's biggest struggles that we face. It is also because Jesus talks about anger. And it is because anger is about forgiveness and reconciliation. And this is the very message of Christmas. That Jesus came to die for our sins and reconcile us to God. And Jesus' message to you this morning is we are to set aside our anger. Go now and be reconciled to your brother. And if you do this, this will be your best Christmas present ever. 
Abraham Lincoln, I think you know that name. Abraham, Abraham Lincoln was the 16th President of the United States of America. He had a Secretary of War by the name of Edwin Stanton. And Stanton got into an argument with a fellow officer. And he complained to President. And the President, Lincoln, asked Stanton to write a letter to his fellow officer expressing his anger. Stanton finished the letter and showed it to Lincoln. Lincoln smiled. It's a good letter. What are you going to do with it? Stanton said, send it. Lincoln replied, you feel good having wrote, written that letter to the officer. Now burn the letter and write another one. I think it's a good way to deal with anger, but it's just not enough to burn an angry letter. The scripture text before us is taken from the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus' greatest teachings found in the book of Matthew, and you will find that in chapters 5, 6, and 7. I think for our purpose, the context of this passage is very important if we are to understand what Jesus is teaching here. And the key is found in this verse, verse 20, that is before our text. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. In those crowds, there were people eager to hear him out. Some people really interested in what he has to say, and others are just there curious to find out what's the latest talk of the town. But amongst the crowds were these group of people called the Pharisees. They were the teachers of the law. They were experts in God's law. These people were highly respected leaders of that day very much like the experts in law of our day. They had the equivalent of master's degrees and PhD in theology, and they studied God's laws. These Pharisees were the elite in their society. They think very highly of themselves, proud that they knew God's laws, and the way to keep them. If you see them, they appear godly on the outside. But when you really get up close, they are all just bragging about how much they know about God's laws and look down on those who don't. 
Everything they did was to show off, to win God's favor and the praise of men. And to them, it's all about obeying a set of man-made rules. They honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. I'm sure we, most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. We understand it in a very legalistic way, just like the Pharisees do. But now Jesus is going behind that law, and he is teaching us what is in the heart of God. Jesus is going behind the letter of the law. And he starts with the sixth commandment that is found in Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. You heard the Pharisees teach you this, but I tell you, I, the Son of God, who have authority in heaven and on earth, I tell you, I tell you the truth. So sit up and listen. And now Jesus will teach us God's intent and spirit behind this law. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. I think that's pretty straightforward. We all can accept that. No disagreement. We understand and accept that anyone who murders, a murderer, has to be judged and sentenced. Let's look back a few verses before and see what Jesus was teaching his disciples. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus was teaching his disciples that they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That the disciples, like you and me, are Jesus' witnesses in a corrupt and dark sinful world. He teaches them how they are to live in this world as kingdom people under the rule and reign of Jesus as their king. But now wait a minute. Have you ever wondered why Jesus starts with the sixth commandment in his preaching on the Sermon on the Mount? Why start there? Why, why start with murder? when there are so many other topics to talk about. I think the key is in the verse that we have just read, verse 20, about these self-righteous Pharisees. This is the only commandment that the self-righteous Pharisees can proudly say that they can keep. You see, like the self righteous Pharisees, we can't say that of others. But yes, we can say it on this one. 
Has anyone here committed murder? I'm glad, no hands. Yes, you are laughing. But we can't stay of the others, can we? Like lying, stealing, lasting, or coveting. We all stand guilty. But murder, yes, we can on this one. We haven't murdered anybody, so we tell ourselves. And that's usually how we see a good and a bad person. You must be good if you have not killed anyone. We have not physically murdered someone, so we are righteous, we are okay. We can check this sixth commandment off, take it under our belt until Jesus points out to us that we fail even on this one. You've heard this been said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment. And Jesus is making this very important point here. He's telling his listeners the sixth commandment you shall not murder means much more. It means more than physically killing someone. It violates God's commandment not to murder, but it goes much deeper. In fact, it includes anything. Anything that comes in between us, our relationships, anything that damages our relationships, Yes, murder is more than taking the life of someone. Jesus is saying, even before we get to the point where we actually physically kill someone, like picking up a knife and plunging into the heart of someone, or pulling the trigger, we are just as guilty of murder, and we will be judged. Now you can understand why Jesus says anger is murder in the heart. I think we all have read about the Hong Kong protests, and this has been going on for the last six months. There you can see unrestrained anger has turned into murder. It started off well as a demonstration to uphold democracy, but it has now turned into a violent street fights and senseless killings. Young people have lost their minds. They've gone crazy and the whole situation has gone out of control. 
the initial righteous anger has run amok and they have now become murderers. You see, anger has revealed murder in their hearts. Let me just say this. Let us not misunderstand Jesus. Anger is not always sin. We are familiar with what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4 verse 26. In your anger do not sin. There is reason to be angry. And we know that Jesus was angry. In Mark 3 verse 5, Jesus looked around at the Pharisees in anger. Same word as in our text. Deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. In that passage, we can see Jesus was clearly angry. We know he was. He went into the temple, he drove out the money changers, he made a whip of cords and drove them out and overturned the tables. He said, you have turned my father's house of prayer into a den of robbers. We can see Jesus was angry. And Jesus was right for being angry. Yes, there is a right time for being angry, what we call righteous anger. We should all be rightly angry about sin and evil in this world, about drug abuse, pornography, child abuse, racism, violence, Corruption, oppression, I think the list goes on. And we should fight them. Verse 22, Jesus goes on and says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to the brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now Jesus is going to drill down deeper. First you notice the word anyone. Anyone means anybody. Anybody who is breathing. Any man or woman or child includes you, and it includes me. I think you can well substitute that word anyone with your name. But I tell you that Jack, who is angry, that Jill, who is angry, I tell you that Carming, who is angry, with a brother, will be judged by God. Suddenly, it doesn't look like this is not for me. No, Jesus is speaking to me and to you. You will be judged 
if you allow your anger to come in between your relationship with God and fellow men. Jesus goes on and talks about the words that they used when they were angry. Words like raka and you fool. Anyone who says raka, that's Aramaic, and it means something like blockhead, you idiot. A very offensive word in the culture then. It's like calling someone bastard or moron in our day. Or anyone who says you fool will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Now Jesus is not teaching that there are different degrees of anger or the different words that we use to lash out in anger. The words raka and you fool are only examples to show us that we can murder with our words. And there are serious consequences. You may appear before human courts here on earth, but you will have to face God's court ultimately. And Jesus is saying the word spoken in anger is tantamount to murder. And they incur God's wrath and judgment. You know, we are all masters of Tai Chi. We like to blame others. We have a great tendency to blame others. We blame our DNA, we blame our upbringing, we blame our parents, we blame our children, we blame our government, we blame the opposition, we blame everyone else. Everyone that gets in our way, that is. So we get upset and angry very easily. And when we do, our mind races. We choose words which aim for maximum impact. You know, we have our own flowery language for that. I don't have to remind you. But these words are like arrows, poised to shoot at will, to hurt, to wound, and make the other person suffer as much pain and bleed. We want a pound of flesh. You know, brothers and sisters, that's the dark, sinful side of man. If anyone here tells me that there's no sin, and if you are not sinful, look at the times that you had been angry with your brother. It just doesn't take too long for the heat to rise, isn't it? We get hot very easily. We lash out with words like, it's your bloody fault. Get off my back. Satchole. Don't laugh. 
it's a serious matter, Jesus is saying. I'll kill you. I think it gets worse when the other party retaliates. I think you get the point. I need not say more. Our words are stained with blood. No wonder Jesus calls that murder. You see, Jesus is not telling us that murder is physical. Murder is not just violence, just even by a single angry word, we can commit murder. Now on the lighter side, I think the antidote to angry words is loving words, wonderful words, just like the hymn that we have just sung. When I was a student in New Zealand many, many, many years ago, I used to go to a nearby grocery and buy my stuff. And there is this little old lady who would, without fail, greet me. Good morning, love. What can I do for you? Coming for, from an Asian culture, I was not so used to such lovey-dovey language. Gave me goosebumps initially. But over the years, I realized that the words we choose to speak reveal what is in our heart, our inner heart who we are in the inside. People can see us all beautiful on the outside. They can't see what is in our hearts, but God can. And I can tell you we all need to cultivate, cultivate speaking loving words rather than angry words which kill. Let's move on. Verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. We need to understand that in their culture, the gift that they bring to God at the altar is an animal and not money like we do today. You can't expect them to leave that animal at the altar, run to reconcile with his brother. Nobody is going to look after their animal for you. But Jesus is drawing from the case of their worship life 
to make this very important point. And the point is relationships are very important to God. Fix it. Even if you have to put everything on hold, including worship. So if you are offering your gift, yes, it's you. You are offering your gift, not someone else. It's personal. Jesus is coming up close and personal to you. You have to deal with it. I have to deal with it. It is not our business going around resolving other people's conflicts when we are angry with our brother. You, yes, you. If you have come today to worship and you harbor anger against a brother, you must first leave and go and make amends. Now, the word go is an action word, isn't it? You need to act and move. You're not going anywhere if you are stuck to your cues. The point Jesus is making here is worshipping God is important, but even then, that can wait. Jesus is not so much concerned about who's right and who's wrong as to who's willing to make that first move towards reconciliation. He's saying to us, go and fix it. You need to leave what you are doing right now. Put it on hold, including worship. Go and first be reconciled with your brother. First things first, they say. Deal with your anger first. Be reconciled and then come and worship. Let's be honest with ourselves. How many of us have come to worship still harboring anger against our brother? Could have started off as a tiff between husband and wife, a quarrel between parents and children, an argument between brother and sister, but it has all turned bitter. Really, it doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. What matters is that we are called to be reconciled. You and I know it's so hard. So very hard to say sorry. Yes, sometimes the other party is not willing. But that's okay. We are only called to do our part. We are only responsible for what Jesus has called us to do. Go and be reconciled. That's the only biblical way to deal with anger. My brother, my sister, 
who is God calling you to reconcile with today? I can't answer that for you. You, you know who it is. You have the answer. And Jesus says, we need to do it and do it urgently. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. I see some frowning faces. What is Jesus talking about here? He is painting a scenario from their court system, from their legal system. He's now talking about a guilty person who is now being taken to court. And if you are guilty, you really don't want to go to court. We have many court cases going on. It's just too late once you are in court because justice will be done. And Jesus is making this point. You've got to do it urgently. Fix your relationships right away. It's the urgency. Don't delay. That's court language. His whole point is reconcile now. If you have an issue in your life, don't put it off. You need to do it now. Don't say just wait and do it later. Because saying do it later becomes never. And Jesus wants to stress this, that there is great urgency in reconciliation. Resolving your anger is more than just burning an angry letter. You have to be willing to forgive and let go of the anger you are holding inside of you. You may be holding on to anger or maybe even nursing a hatred that has roots in wounds that have been buried over your lifetime. I think God is calling you. Reach out. Reach out to your brother and sister. Forgive. Let go. Let go of your anger and your resentment. It may be a simple matter of just saying sorry or making the choice to pick up the phone, keep talking and sort things out. But the important thing is make that first move today. 
You know, God has designed us in such a way that broken relationships can be restored through reconciliation. Thanks be to God that he made a way that Jesus came to die for our sins, to reconcile sinners back to God. And reconciliation is not man's idea. It is God's idea to end this enmity between sinners and a holy God. And if it takes Jesus to die for our sins, to reconcile us to God, what does it take for us to reconcile with one another? Is it, I cannot forgive? Or, I will not forgive? The hurt you cost me is just so deep. Until I see you are really sorry, I don't think I can let it go. Don't forget, Jesus didn't set any condition for forgiveness. To those who crucified him, he prayed, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is there anything in your life, any event, any person in your life you will not forgive? You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer this morning, and we pray it every Sunday. We sang it in the hymn. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Why not pray? Forgive us our anger as we forgive those who are angry with us. And go, believing that God will honor your desire for forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, we can't do it all on our own. We need Jesus. We need his empowerment and his grace to help us forgive and move on. I know it's a hard passage. Jesus' sayings are hard. We can't do it in our own strength. We need Jesus and his power. We know these teachings are intuitively true and also true in our own experiences. We all struggle. We all struggle with our fight against anger. I think there is no exception here. We can all openly admit that we have been angry, that maybe we are still angry, But because we struggle, I think that's hope. Because we struggle is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to transform us. And God is at work in us 
to change us into more like Christ every moment and every day. I just like to close with the main points. Jesus is saying to us, anger is murder in the heart, so don't let it fester. Don't let it become a murderous monster in your life. Don't let your heart deceive you. If you're angry with your brother, you have murder in your heart. And you have broken the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And you need to come before God and repent. Words are not just words. Children used to say this, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We smile. We know it's not true. Words can hurt. Words can harm and maim and kill, as we have already seen. And Jesus shows us here very explicitly that we can murder with words. So watch what you say, and in your anger, do not sin. Anger tears our relationships apart, and all communication ceases. It puts a wedge between us and stops us from loving each other. And Jesus' perfect remedy to us is end this, and end this quick. Some things can be put on hold, but not this. Go now and be reconciled with your brother. Then come back and worship God. Let us pray. Let us pause for a moment in your quietness, as God has spoken to you and the Spirit of God has convicted your heart, talk to God. He is listening. Confess your anger. Confess your unwillingness to forgive. And ask God to give you the grace to let go of all bitterness. Speak your heart out to him and then go. Seek out that brother or sister. Forgive and be reconciled. Our Father, we confess that this is a hard passage. Your sayings are so hard. But because they are hard to live out, we need you, Lord Jesus. We need your empowering grace and your healing in our lives. We know we fail on all counts if we rely on our own power.
and our own resources to live this out. You know us more than we know ourselves. Your word says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Yes, we deceive ourselves if we say we are okay with broken relationships. Your, your word to us has convicted our hearts. It's not okay. The anger we hold against our spouse, our parents, our children, siblings, our neighbors and friends has to end and end today. Grant us, Lord, the humility and the grace to make that first move towards reconciliation. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. In his precious name we pray. Amen.